Hello, and welcome to the Safety 2023 podcast, presented by IOSH and recorded live at the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work in Sydney, Australia. In this series, we'll give you exclusive access to interviews with experts from around the globe to cover some of the biggest challenges and trends in occupational health and safety. Hello. You are currently listening to the Safety 2023 podcast presented by IOSH, a special series that is being recorded live at the 23rd World Congress on Health and Safety at Work in Sydney, Australia. For anyone who's listening on the IOSH podcast, you can access the entire series along with all the symposia, keynotes and much more exclusive content via the World Congress platform. Just head to safety2023sydney.com. That's safety2023sydney.com, where you can register for your virtual pass now for only 400 Australian dollars. I'm so thrilled to bring our next guest to the microphone. She is the president of the International Occupational Hygiene Association. Listeners, let me welcome Samantha Connell. Thank you so much. Samantha, Your story into the world of OSH isn't a straightforward one. You initially had your sights set on a different field completely. Can you tell us about your journey into OSH? Yeah, um, it's interesting. I mean, I find it somewhat related. I wanted to go into the medical field. Um, And in the US where I'm from, typically you have to do a sort of pre-med degree or some kind of science. And so uh, I found myself in biology in, in university, but after the first semester, I thought, I don't want to do this. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I talked with some counselors and I made my way into environmental health sciences, which is how the environment affects human health. And eventually through that, I found workplace health. So what was it that really drove you to be in occupational hygiene in the world of Bosch? I always liked science. Um, in high school, for example, we had, you know, two science credit requirements, and I think I did eight. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I think I realized, actually, I did a couple of internships in industrial hygiene. Mm. Um, In the U.S., we refer to it as industrial hygiene, but elsewhere in the world, we generally say occupational hygiene. Okay. And uh, I think it was really the interaction with people as well. So being able to talk with the workers to understand what they're doing. Something I also really liked is you get to see the background of many parts of our world, right? So you get to see into research, what researchers are doing. Um, If you're in industry, you get to see how things are produced, how that works. And I found it a really interesting mix of Mm. being able to better understand the world, uh, work with people, uh, also the science aspect, of course. Okay, so occupational hygiene. How does the role of a hygienist differ from that of an OSH manager? Uh, can you give us a breakdown of a day in the life of an occupational hygienist? Yeah, I guess the, the first part of the question, how does it differ, mm. is it's rather a specialty. Um, but even within that, you can almost be a sort of a general hygienist. Yeah. So we have different aspects, I think. So we, there's a lot of sciences involved. Um, it can be based on like a background in physics, um, biology, chemistry, toxicology, Uh, anatomy and physiology. There's a lot, I think, of of background that people need to have to really understand Mm. the intricacies of occupational hygiene. At the same time, though, you know, if you work as a consultant, you might touch many, many topics like chemicals, noise, ergonomics, heat stress. You might do a little bit of everything across various fields. Um, But you also have people that, you know, they work in the chemical industry and they almost get fixated on chemical exposures or um, people that become specialists in noise. 
And become blind to the other hazards. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe not blind, but I would say they, I think like in any profession, actually, even as a generalist, you kind of need to know your limitations. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's even in our code of ethics, for example, you need to know when you need to call someone else. I guess also as an OSH generalist, you might have this situation where you, you have enough knowledge of everything yeah. to be able to know more or less, you know, is there an issue? Um, but maybe you have, for example, as an off generalist, maybe you have more of a focus on working at heights mm -hmm. or something like this. So I think there are some similarities. Well. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest challenges that occupational hygienists are coming up against at the moment? So as a field in general, we, we have a shortage of professionals. Mm. Um, that's a challenge that we as a field have. Uh, I think hygienists as a, as a profession, uh, we are starting to get more into, for example, the psychosocial risks or um, starting to consider the effects of AI. Um, these aren't things that we generally dealt with in the past, right? We had our sort of traditional hazards, like I mentioned before, chemicals, noise. Mm -hmm. um, and so th this is kind of new for us. So now you're the president of the International Occupational Hygiene Association, and you're here at the 23rd World Congress in Sydney. You moderated one of the more edgy symposia yesterday on deadly dust. Can you tell us a bit about what the session involved? Yeah, that was a, a really interesting session to put together because we brought in different aspects from asbestos and silica. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are two of the, let's say, the oldest hazards, but also these were some of the first occupational illnesses that came around as well. So we really looked at the, the prevalence of diseases related to this globally, but also um, some of the barriers to, yeah. to why we're not able or why we haven't yet been able to sort of eradicate these two substances and diseases related with it. Mm -hmm. um, and but we also looked at solutions. So uh, there's a lot of interesting, let's say, initiatives at the moment. And one thing, for example, that I think would be worth definitely going back and looking at is the state of Victoria. They're doing it an evidence-based approach. They've been charged with looking at, I think it's 30-something million buildings Victoria-wide wow. to look at where asbestos is, um, how they're going to handle that. They mm -hmm. need to do remediation work. So for example, even if we manage to ban these substances, how do we deal with um, the elimination and the, you know, getting rid of, of the substance later? How do we control exposures during doing that? So yeah, they've been charged with kind of developing a way to look at that. And I would recommend people yeah, look at the session. Sounds really interesting. So what did you personally take away from the session? Um, I think we, we need to act now. Mm -hmm. And so the session was called Deadly Dust, Silicon Asbestos. When will we learn? And uh, we need to learn now. <laughs> We're already a bit late. And yeah. um, we see, you know, the more that the uh, indicators of the issue worldwide, the more that matures, the more we see that it is a big, it's an even bigger problem than we think it is. And as these diseases have, it's a chronic, right? Um, it's a long-term implication. Mm -hmm. And so we will continue to see for many years the the issues associated with these diseases. And so what industries do we typically see occupational hygiene employed in? I would say we are present in all industries. Yeah. It's rather more of a situational presence, let's say. So uh, present in all industries, but if you have, um, you know, larger companies, they're definitely going to have occupational hygienists employed. But if we look at our small and medium enterprises, I'm not sure that they have a specific person employed for that. Mm -hmm. They might um, use someone external or a consultant, for example, um, and they might be struggling. You know, if we think about companies that have few employees, I don't think it's going to be a real a real topic for them. Mm -hmm. um, and there might not be, you know, they would have different hazards present depending on what 
what the industry is. So it can be that there's less, not less of a need. It depends on on what hazards are present, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. But if we look at, um, you know, informal workers, um, or if we think about the gig economy, yeah. uh, I think there's a, a real gap there that we need to start to consider. That was my next question, actually. Are there any other industries that might not typically incorporate hygienist practices that could benefit from it? I would consider maybe the gig economy. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where the International Occupational Hygiene Association comes into play. Can you tell us a bit about the organization and what it aims to do? Yeah, IOHA is an umbrella organization. We've got 42 uh, member organizations. Uh, which represent more than 20,000 individual members worldwide. And we're present in, I would say, all regions. Mm. Um, Some have more member organizations than others. But uh, we represent, I would say, a pretty global population. We aim to to promote the profession of occupational hygiene and make it more visible globally, help people understand what we do. Um, I think we also aim to kind of be a global voice to understand what we need, you know, um, across the various regions. And we also look to provide educational opportunities to our members. So one of the key elements of IOA is about the visibility of the profession. What does the general acknowledgement of occupational hygiene look like at the moment to those outside the field? I guess it varies widely. Um, Outside the field, I guess to some, we still see that a lot of people aren't familiar with the term. I think it doesn't help that uh, the term doesn't, it's not very tangible to people. They mm-hmm. don't really understand when you say industrial or occupational hygiene. Uh, in fact, a lot of people have asked me, oh, so you go into companies and you clean people's teeth <laughs> or, um, you know, oh, you go into the, the work site and you clean it. You know, they think that we really mm-hmm. are industrial cleaners. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that doesn't help. But, you know, if we think about worker health or workplace health, um, that gives a better picture. Absolutely. And uh, I think it depends on also what people do as an occupation. Sometimes people are able to say, ah, oh, okay, you know, I work in an office. Are you the one that would come and look at how my computer is set up? Sometimes people really get a feeling for mm. it. And sometimes people say, never heard of it. Didn't know that was a profession. Do you think there's an appetite to adjust the title then, the, hy- the hygiene part of that? It's been a discussion for a really long mm. time in our in our field. Mm. I think it could help us mm. just to to help people, you know, when they hear it, to better understand what we do directly. Yeah, absolutely. So can you give some examples of how you're trying to elevate that presence globally? Uh, well, the World Congress, I would say, yeah. is one. Um, being here with, with other global partners to look at how we can how we can help and um, support and what, what piece we play in the OSH world. Um, I think something really interesting is that uh, yesterday I was in a session with the ILO and traditionally this has been a you know a tripartite situation mm. which didn't necessarily involve professional organizations but now they start to look at the professional piece of it and they start to consider it more the occupational hygiene piece of it and how we can support in the, in getting the strategy implemented their new strategy for example. Excellent. So as we shift more towards global practices particularly in the wake of the COVID pandemic, we see business practices between countries become more intertwined. What's the role of the occupational hygienists play here and why is it so important? What's difficult is that we we can't really apply a cookie cutter approach Mm. across countries or regions because uh, different areas are have different levels of maturity, let's say, or different levels of legislation. Sometimes it's lacking and sometimes it's very detailed. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes we have professionals in countries, sometimes we don't. And 
we have to work together to understand what um, what the practices are globally and try to share those, um, pull what we can out of it, help um, tailor approaches depending on what countries or what industries need. So what are your thoughts on the idea of roles becoming more blurred through globalization? For example, OSH managers adopting hygienist duties and vice versa. Um, do you think that will help or are there speci- is there a specific need for a split between those roles? I think as we touched on a little bit earlier, mm. we have to know where our limitations are, right? Yeah. Um, so I think we we always joke that um, industrial hygienists rule the world. So <laughs> we say that industrial hygienists can do anything. We can also be a sort of OSH generalist. Um, but what I think is maybe missing a little bit in the, in the OSH, um, let's say, curriculum or area of, of, of practice is some of those sciences, for example. Mm. Um, it's difficult to to implement or understand some of the industrial hygiene practices if you don't understand uh, physics, if you don't yeah. understand toxicology, anatomy, physiology. Um, so I think that we can we can work together to kind of maybe, for example, if an OSH generalist wants to have a little bit more uh, of an emphasis in occupational hygiene, we can work together to get the level of training that they would need. Um, but I think it also depends on, on their background and, and what they do in their area of practice. Yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit later, actually, about resources and how we can sort of collaborate in those, mm-hmm. those areas. So one of the areas that I, uh, that I find particularly interesting is the consideration you need to take working across different countries and state jurisdictions, as you mentioned earlier. So what challenges do you find having to juggle those different groups and where do you begin to prioritise? Uh, that's a difficult one. Um, I would say that what doesn't exist, and I think what would help us a lot, um, would be to have a picture. We know, we know how many professionals we have globally. Yeah. We know more or less where they're located. Um, I think what would really be good is to piece that together with where we have legislation and where we have requirements for companies to implement occupational hygiene. Um, compliance definitely shouldn't be the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Compliance should really be the basis. Mm-hmm. But we could say, for example, you know, in countries that have these requirements, we know that we maybe are already implementing some occupational hygiene practices just on the basis of being required to do so. Mm-hmm. But uh, in countries that really have a lack of that and don't have professionals, we might need to prioritize there, for example. So what I think would be interesting is to see a sort of um, almost like a maturity matrix of where we are in the world with occupational hygiene, which countries have regulations, which ones don't, which ones have professionals, um, which ones need to, to fill those gaps. That would be really interesting. I really like this. One of the terms you use is being tactfully tactical. Can you elaborate on that a bit? We need to be in, intentional in the relationships and the partnerships that we build. Um, I think it also means that you know, we, have different, we have differing perspectives uh, globally. We have differing hazards and risks globally. Um, we need to think about the way that we we consider those. We need to be perceptive of cultural norms in the various countries that we have member organizations with. Uh, it's we, it's a, clump, a complex environment, mm. and um, I think we need to be mindful of that and, and the way that we work and with what we're trying to achieve. So one of the key functions of Iowa is serving its member organizations that you mentioned earlier through continued education and networking opportunities. So by offering this platform and connecting local hygienists to global expertise and resources, what's the ultimate benefit for the workers and the businesses on the ground? 
When we work together, when we um, are able to exchange and share best practices, um, I think we save a lot of reinventing the wheel. Mm -hmm. uh, we're able to learn from each other and, and what's already been done, what needs to be done. Maybe we learn also how did people implement certain pieces of legislation or how did they um, make things work on a practical application within various businesses. I think if we work across sectors, we can learn from each other. If we work um, across regions, we can learn from each other. Samantha, thank you so much for bringing your expertise into the booth today. It's been an absolute treat talking to you. Remember, if you're listening to this on the IOSH podcast, you can get access to every interview in the Safety 2023 series, along with all of the other sessions and exclusive videos from the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work right now on the World Congress platform. Just head to safety2023sydney.com and register for your virtual pass. From everyone here at IOSH and the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to sharing more conversations from the world of OSH with you very soon.